My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, I don't know if you had the opportunity as a person who listens to podcasts, but the last year, so many thousands upon thousands of Christian leaders were focused on a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Now, I don't know if uh, you know anything about Mars Hill, but in 1996, it took off like a rocket with the founding pastor, Mark Driscoll. And yet, even though it flew very high, it eventually burned up in the atmosphere of pride and it decayed and it crashed to the ground. And the rise and fall of Mars Hill is a very excruciating, painful look at what happens when your charisma overtakes your character. What happens when you as a leader begin to focus more on the outside than what's on the inside? And as a leader, I listened to it. There was one, when my wife and I were driving to the coast, we listened to, she looked at me, she said, why are we listening to this? It's, it's you know, it's not even good. I'm like, I know that, but it's necessary. Because within every person, whether you consider yourself a leader or not, within every person is the potential for your inner character to be damaged along the journey of life, especially if you achieve some level of success, if people look at you. So the question that I think the podcast ultimately asked was, does power ultimately corrupt? Or do Corrupt people, now that's really harsh, but we got to admit within the threat of every one of our hearts is something that might not be right, might have the wrong motivation, or does ultimately a group of people that are looking for more end up being corrupted by the power that they're seeking? Is it possible that the potential that God has put in your life that was put in the life of uh, a pastor, Mark Driscoll, who many, many, many thousands of people followed were led to Christ, is it possible that your potential actually takes a dive and crashes when it's more focused on personality, more focused on ability. For them, it was focused on a platform, and it all came crashing down. In its wake, thousands of people were left adrift at sea, and you can listen to story after story after story of people that suffered under leadership that was less than godly. People were confused. People were angry. People were lost. Some people have walked away from the church. 
Now, the reason I bring that up is because if you follow any Christian headlines, I regularly read Christianity Today and other Christian uh, headlines and, you know, kind of want to see what's going on in the world today. The list is getting longer of pastors, of spiritual leaders that have fallen, that have allowed their outer charisma to be more important than their inner character, and ultimately that catches up with them. I mean, I just wrote down a couple names, Mark Driscoll, Bill Hybels, Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz, Brian Houston, just to name a few of the people that were highly gifted, highly talented, led massive churches or large church organizations or whole denominations, but ultimately ended up collapsing under the weight that their character could not sustain because they lost their purpose as a leader. I don't know if you think yourself a leader, I don't know if you connect with this message today because it's going to be about kings and none of you, you know, are kings. None of you rule a nation. None of you, you know, rule a territory. Maybe you don't think yourself a leader because you don't lead an organization or a group of people. But I, I think that what we're going to see today and the passages of scripture we're going to look at is that every one of us leads somewhere, something. Even if you walked in today, and this is your first time at church. You're not even connected to God. You lead yourself. And will you lead yourself well? And whether you lead a family, maybe you're a mother, father. Will you lead your workplace? Maybe you have a group of people you lead at work. Maybe you're a teacher and you lead students. Whatever it is, you are a leader. Maybe even, God forbid, you lead an HOA. You know what I mean? And uh, you're in charge of cutting the grass or making sure everybody else puts their garbage cans behind the fence at the right day or whatever, you know? Every one of us have leadership opportunities, leadership potential. What we're going to see today in our text, and there's a lot of texts we'll be looking at uh, over the, the life of three different people, we're going to see that if we're not careful, if we're not focused on God, number one, we can go off the rails. We can get derailed because we're more focused on something to achieve out here than what God would want to do in here in our hearts. And so I would like to think that this is a message for everybody because we all have an outer life and an inner life. And maybe you're young and you're just starting your rise and you've got a lot of hope ahead of you. Maybe you're older and you're you know, looking towards retirement and you've done a lot of leading. Maybe you've already retired, anywhere in between. Maybe you're you know, graduating high school and you're thinking, what am I gonna do with my life? This message applies to every one of us. As a leader, our abilities, and let me say this, our talents and even God-given gifts have the opportunity to overtake our character. And if you could think about it in, in the form of a freeway, you know, the pedal gets pushed more and more and more. And every decade, every season of our life, we have to push that accelerator down. And what happens if we find ourselves going faster, speeding faster than our character can keep up? Would we be bold enough to put the brakes on, to slow down, to pull off to a rest side retreat and let God do a work in our heart? Because if not, we just might go wheels off at some point. And when you're doing that at high speed, you wreck not just yourself, but everybody that you lead. Well, in his book, Next Generation Leader, Andy Stanley writes, and he says it this way. He says, your talent and giftedness as a leader have the potential to take you farther than your character can sustain you. And that ought to scare you. That ought to scare you. Again, you may disconnect to go, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a leader, I'm not a king, I'm not a prophet, I'm not whatever. Okay, 
You all lead something or someone or a group of people. Even if you walk out the door alone, you lead yourself. And will you be bold enough to ask about the inner motivations of your heart? And if God reveals something to you today, would you be willing to admit it and just take a pause and let God work on that? In our journey through the Bible, we've reached a stage now in the nation of Israel where they've cried out for a king. Up to this point, they've had prophets that have led them, some good, a lot of bad. The final prophet, uh, who is an amazing guy, he, uh, he, he leads, and as he leads this prophet, Samuel, he is the greatest of the prophets. But at the end of his life, the people cry out for a king. And he takes that personally, and he's hurt. God says, hey, don't worry, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. They want a king like every other nation because they want to achieve what every other nation has. And so God grants them their request, and God brings them a king. And what you'll see as we're going through this message and in the next couple weeks, that they end up having three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And that's all they get as a united kingdom. And it splinters after that point. And and 10 of the tribes go to the north with their own king. And two of the tribes stay in the south with their own king. And ultimately, in the north, there's not even one king out of all of the many that they have before they're finally taken away because of their rebellion. And in the South, some are good, many are bad, but none of them can contain their own passions. And what they end up doing is pursuing what's on their heart and it ends up hurting not only them, but their nation. And so today I want us to begin with a guy named Saul. Saul has a great beginning. Saul has a wonderful start. In fact, uh, you you know, the idea of your inner character mattering more than your charisma is really important when you take a look at a guy named Saul. Saul starts off, he's young, he's humble, or at least he's frightened. It looks like humility. And God calls him to be king and he doesn't know what to do with it. It says here in 1 Samuel 9 2, it says, his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. I don't know if that's like a fact statement or that's just a hyperbole. It's like he's on the cover of GQ. Everybody's watching him on Instagram. Everybody's following everything on him. He's an influencer, right? He's the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. I don't know exactly if that's literal or if that's figurative, but this guy is a stallion, right? This guy, he, he is somebody that when you look at you go, that's a leader. That's a leader. Why? Because we focus on the outside. We're so quick to focus on those things. And and so this is what he's called. And if you go a little bit later in that chapter, it says, as he's called king and appointed as king and anointed, Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? Why are you talking like this to me? Why are you looking at me? I'm a nobody. Now that is a great beginning. That sounds like a humble heart. If you ever pick someone to lead something, you want someone who has passion and drive, but I hope you pick someone that has humility of character. Otherwise, it might become more about them than about the project or about the team or about what you want to accomplish. There are too many people looking for success and they'll ride the backs of anything or anyone just to get there. But things go horribly wrong. And I'm going to say it this way. Saul led through his pride. 
didn't show up at first, but after a while, God put two tests in front of him. And he had the opportunity to follow God, to wait on God, or he ran ahead on his own. And he ends up humiliating the nation with these ways that he thought he could do it better. He ends up literally insane because of the way he leads. He becomes a very corrupt person and he leads through his pride because he is the king and the king can do whatever the king wants and nobody can talk against the king. And he takes advantage of his place and he uses it for his own purpose and it ends up being pride. Um, If you look at the problem, the inner problem was he wasn't obeying God. And you could read the stories where he's supposed to wait for the prophet to sacrifice and give the glory to God. He does it himself because he's afraid of his men. That's the story, right? But he's afraid of losing the power, losing the position. And Saul ends up being rejected by God. But both he and the nation have to endure decades of corrupt leadership, waiting for God to put the next person into play, which is a young man named David. In 1 Samuel 13, 13 to 14, it says this, God gives this indictment, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. God looked at Saul, there's so much potential, right? So much desire in his life, it ends up being corrupted because of his pride. And yet not only does he suffer, but his people suffer, waiting for him to die. And this young man, a man after God's own heart is David. We know him. David is a young man. In fact, we could say it this way, David led through his passion and his passion led him to write almost half of the Psalms and they're all over the stories that you were reading and contained in the book of Psalms. And so I think he wrote 73 out of 150. Incredible passion. A young man who was the lowest of the low in his family. He was the youngest. He was the baby. He was out shepherding when his brothers were fighting. And here's the young man who ends up in a situation opportunity and he stands there and says, hey, listen, God's been with me before. God's going to be with me today. And so I know that I have killed lion and bear to protect my father's sheep. I can kill this giant to protect God's nation. Let's go for it. He takes the five smooth stones and the sling. It only takes one stone and he takes down a giant. Incredible opportunity. This guy has incredible passion. And he goes and he leads, and yet as a result of Saul still being there, he's attacked and he runs and he hides, and he endures a lot of pain before he gets to that point. But as he leads, he's someone who is not willing to remove the ungodly leader. Now put yourself in a situation. David had been already anointed as king, promised king, but there's another king in place, Saul. And Saul is insane. He's insanely jealous of David because if you read the story after David kills Goliath, as the people are coming into the city, uh, Saul hears these words, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. That's not true, but that's the song playing on the stereo of everybody in the car driving through the parade, right? It's the music that ends up coming into the heart of Saul and he's angry and he's bitter and he's jealous because the people are turning their focus on David because God's with David and God is no longer with Saul. What are you gonna do in a situation like that? Now I wanna ask you, 
Have you ever been in a place, have you ever been in a position where the leader above you is not a godly leader? Don't raise your hand, please, because ladies, your arm might be around your husband's shoulder there and you want to point a little bit, right? I mean, it's, it's true, right? Have you ever been in a place where your leader is not making the best decisions? What do you do? How do you groan under the weight of that? Now, the amazing thing about David is that when Saul was literally hurling spears at him, see, Saul went insane and he employed David, this young man, to play his harp, uh, to soothe him with music. David was a skilled musician, songwriter, and he's in his place there in the palace. Now, one day the palace is going to be his. Can you imagine in your heart knowing this is rightfully mine and I'm playing for the insane king? And then the insane king picks up, picks up a spear, a javelin, and throws it and hurls it at David because he's jealous. What do you do? Well, you duck. That's what you do. You duck. And you don't take the spear out of the wall and hurl it back. David eventually ran. And he ran away and hiding. He ran out to the desert, the wilderness. And he had to spend so much of his life out hiding from an insane king. And there were two opportunities that David had to take Saul's life. That in all rights, by his, even his own men said, hey, this is God's appointed day for you. You now can take this and you now can run with this. God has put your enemy in your hands. And David says, I'm not gonna touch the Lord's anointed. Now, have you ever served under a person that thinks you're the devil? <laughs> thinks you're the usurper. I did that. My first ministry in Boise, we had a pastor that I was just the youth pastor. I was just doing my job. I was stupidly happy serving as a youth pastor. Not the youth pastors are stupid. Jacob's brilliant. But I mean, I just was focused on that. I didn't care about anything else. And God was giving me success. And the senior pastor got jealous, started hurling spears and javelins. I didn't know it. And I didn't know how to respond because I wasn't doing that. I was just doing my ministry. How do you groan under the weight of a leader that looks at you and says, you're out for my position when you're not? What do you do at work when your boss is making horrible decisions and you know the right way to go? You know the wisest move. And, and even if that boss, because of your suggestion, starts to hurl the spears, the words, the javelins, the messages, what do you do? Do you fling them back or do you go inside and pray? Do you let God deal with the issue? That's what David did. David had the opportunity to kill Paul, Saul, excuse me, but he didn't. And, um, and he became king eventually. And yet his passion, even though it was godly in many ways, we know at least in one situation, his passion led him to destruction, right? Who did he pursue? A lady, a beautiful lady her name was? Bathsheba, because she was taking a bath, Right? How can you forget that name? And he looked at her and he wanted her and he took her for himself and she became pregnant and he panicked. And in a moment when he could have humbled himself and confessed his sin, he didn't. He hid and he used his power to hide and which ended up in the death of her husband, one of his great warriors, one of his friends. And when he thought he had hid the Nathan prophet, they stuck his bony finger in his chest and said, you are that man and all was revealed. And David suffered incredible loss because of this. Here's what God said to him in 2 Samuel 
The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? Look at this. For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your son. David could have had so much. He could have had in his own life peace, but the sword hit his home because of his own sinfulness. Now let's think about that for us. We know that we can hide. We know that we can commit sins. We can do things and nobody's ever gonna find out, right? But God knows. And one day that will catch up to us. And when it catches up to us, who suffers? Well, we suffer, but who else suffers? Our family suffers. In David's life, his family suffered greatly. Let me just read to you what happened because of David's sin. The child that he had with Bathsheba died. His oldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar, and David did absolutely nothing about it. His passion went to passivity, right? And that's, that's true for a lot of men, right? We struggle with this passive nature of ourselves. We work so hard out there, we come home and we just, you know, just scroll and browse the web and check out the Netflix and Amazon and we, we don't engage at home. His passivity enraged Tamar's brother, Absalom, to kill his half-brother, Amnon. And then David banished Absalom from the kingdom for doing so. Eventually, David allowed Absalom to return, but he refused to see his son. And a seed of bitterness and anger was growing in Absalom's heart. So much so that he led a coup to take over his father's kingdom. Absalom, here's here's what he was passionate about. He was passionate about, you know, absolving his pain And he led through his pain and his bitterness and his enemy was his father. And he wanted to destroy his father and shame his father because his father had not led well. And because God had delivered all of these, all of these curses on him. I don't know if you've ever sat in a room where someone starts talking about the boss or the leader in a way that's destructive. I'll never forget, I was youth pastor here in another building, another place. I was sitting there and, you know, again, just fat and happy doing my youth pastor job, just enjoying all that. And the associate pastor came into my office and sat down and talked and I was at my desk and he started to say things like this. Don't you think that I preach better than the pastor? And he was a good communicator. Don't you think that I lead better than? And I spun my chair around I looked at him and said, you better knock it off because you have a position and you better stop talking about this and I will have no part of this. And I escorted him to my door and shut the door. Eventually that led to him getting fired because he wanted a position that was not rightly his. Have you ever been in something like that? Have you ever had someone underneath of you like that? Well, what are they led by? Led by the pain, the passion of their own desire? I'm telling you, it can be a struggle. In fact, here's how Absalom did it. It's brilliant. You could take notes on how to usurp a king. Look at this. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from and then he would tell them their tribe. 
And Absalom would say, you've really got a good, strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Hey, you know a practical application of this? For years, I'll be standing on the platform out there greeting you, but if you ever dare say anything about how you don't like something that Pastor Paul's doing, you will not get an audience with my heart and my ear. I will praise him up and down because he's the guy that God has brought to lead us in the next season, and he will have my loyalty we will not have anyone speaking against the next leader because I know, I know how it works in churches. I get it, although in my heart I don't get it. You love me. That's great. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think you know me. You know? <laughs> have you been in my home? <laughs> have you seen you know, my life? I'm not perfect. But you, you love me as your pastor. I get that. I, I, I am so honored by that. But you're going to have a new pastor, and he's going to be my pastor and he will have my loyalty. And in time, you will come to love him as you love me. In fact, I believe even more so as God pours out his blessing on Sunrise Church in the future. So let's be careful with our heart, even in this moment. Well, this ultimately led to David fleeing for his life, Absalom dying, and 20,000 other people dying. It's just tragedy upon tragedy. Why? Because the motivation of his heart was pain, and he had to get back at his dad for his passivity. So friends, sin has consequences. Let me kind of sum it up this way. Saul led through his pride. He had humility at first, seemingly, but he took it upon himself, and he would rather sacrifice himself for himself to receive the honor than just simply to obey. David led through his passion, wrote half the book of Psalms, incredible, and in a, a wrongful, passionate moment, took the wrong lady to bed, through adultery, ended up destroying so much and losing so much and suffering so much. He didn't keep his passion at bay. And then Absalom led through his pain. But again, your inner character matters more than your outer charisma. Andy Stanley was a speaker, actually, at Men's Roundup 32 years ago. And he said this, it's just brilliant. Uh, Nick Unger shared this with me years ago. This was before I came to Sunrise. Sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Those are some good words right there. You might want to write that down. Sin. If your inner motivation is not submitted to God, your sin, which is what will happen, will come inside of you. Your sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Did, did Saul ever imagine when he set out to be king that he would live decades insane fighting against God every chance he got. No, he, he would just imagine that it'd be great, right? Did David ever imagine that that glance at that woman Bathsheba and that request, that call to his men to go get her to sleep with her would ever result in not just the death of her child, but the destruction of his own household, the raping of one of his daughters, the death, the murder of one of his sons and the eventual death that he mourned over, Absalom, Absalom. No. But that's what'll happen. Did Absalom ever imagine that he couldn't achieve his goal of avenging his raped sister with his dad? That he'd be hanging by his hair in a tree, speared and killed? 
Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. For Saul and for David, it was decades. They each ruled about 40 years, Saul and David and Solomon. And, and for many of, most of Saul's life and Solomon's life and reign, they were horrible years. But David had some good years. But you never imagine where, what road it's going to take you down. If you think about it in a metaphor of the road and the highway, some of us take a quick exit. It's not going to be long. Just going to get a burger. Just going to get some gas. Yeah, you might not get back on that road. You might end up trapped. Have you seen Cars by Pixar? It's this story right there. You know, you get diverted. You know, you never know what that tourist trap might do to your soul. It's just a quick stop. It's not a big deal. Nobody's going to notice. I can get back on the freeway. I can keep going with my life. I can get back up to speed. I can resume my time. And it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Saul cost his entire household. Humiliation. David cost him his family. Absalom, his very life. Israel's kings were not models of purity, that's for sure, right? And in many ways, they're examples of leaders today. As leaders, we see opportunities. And when we see opportunities line up with their passions, sometimes we think it's God. But you can never obey the will of God by violating the law of God. It just doesn't work. If you fudge and if you move and if you slide over a little bit and you think, I can, I can maybe bend this one a little bit. I mean, I understand this verse here and there, but, but this is my situation. I can kind of maneuver around this. You're never going to achieve the will of God. Because the will of God is complete submission to his law, to his rule. Because that is where peace is found. That is where favor is found. I found in my leadership that sometimes the direct route is not the best route. The easy route is not the best route. The wisest route is to wait, even when the opportunity is in front of you. Think about Jesus. Remember, Satan tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights. What did he tempt him with? Things that were eventually going to be his, right? The kingdom. And, and the reason it was a temptation is because Jesus could have taken the shortcut to achieve what God had already promised him, but that would have violated God's law, and he couldn't. He didn't do that, right? But those things were promised to him. But if something's been promised to you, if something's in your future and you've got a promising future, don't take shortcuts to get there. You might get there quickly, but your character will suffer damage. You can never accomplish the will of God by violating the law of God. Over the years in my pastoral ministry and the growth and the change at Sunrise, I've noticed that success opens doors. And those are good doors. Those are exciting doors. But the reality is, it also introduces you to new temptations and struggles. I remember years ago, sitting at uh, a Starbucks, and a local pastor, a guy I greatly admire, started talking to me, and I thought, who's he talking to? I'm just me. I remember sitting at lunch with another pastor, and he looked at me and said, James, don't you realize your voice in this community? I'm like, no, I'm just me, right? And one day I had to look in the mirror and realize, I think for God, I could have a voice, but for me, I don't have a voice. And I began to speak, and I began to move into places. I began to be invited to tables. Sunrise began to be invited to tables in our city, in our community, in our culture that I had no idea we'd ever be at. And every time I'd walk in, I would pray a simple prayer, a prayer of humility. In fact, it's a prayer that 
is from David's lips, and I want you to get there. It's from 2 Samuel's Living Bible. Uh, Mom, you gave me that Daily Walk Bible. This was one of my early years reading it in the late 80s, and I was struck by this. David has been promised a house, a dynasty of God, because he wanted to build a house for God, a temple, and this is what he says back to God when God says he's gonna do all these things. Oh, Lord God, why have you showered your blessings on such an insignificant person as I am? If you could keep that as the rule of your heart, no matter how big the platform is, no matter how many opportunities you get to speak or to do things, if you can walk in humility and not believe all the press, that's one of the worst things that can happen to a person in leadership is believe their own press because you can create your own press. That's what happened with Driscoll. You can create your own platform that makes you look great and you could take off like a rocket. But if you're not careful, burning up in the atmosphere destroys you and a lot of people. So how will you lead in the coming years? Again, bring it down to basics in your family, in your work, in your school, in your environment. Maybe you're young and you're just on the beginning of a meteoric rise. You know, you're, everything's all like arrows up and to the right, you're excited. Maybe you're in middle age and you know, you've lost a couple stages of your rocket, but you're just boosting out deeper you know, into space and you're just rising it, you're heading towards the sun. Or maybe you're, lost all juice, and you're drifting out in space. <laughs> Thanks for the metaphor, James, yeah. And one day, one day your life will be over. When you look back on it, will you be able to say, oh, Lord God, why have you showered your blessings on such an insignificant person as I am? And so that'll keep your heart straight. That'll keep your, you know, your peripheral vision focused on what's right in front of you and you won't drift. I wanna just share a couple things and I wanna lead you in an exercise. Any leader that wants to stay grounded, any person that wants to stay humble, to fight to keep the attention from, from ruining them has to remember a couple things. Number one, these are some basic leadership lessons. Again, they apply to your family, they apply to your heart, they apply to your life and business. Leadership is a stewardship. I learned these years ago, leadership is a stewardship. It's not yours, you don't own it, you've just been given it for a season. It's not yours, you don't earn it. God puts it in your hands. Leadership is a stewardship. Our leadership assignments are temporary. That means we're not always gonna hold this. Could be your kids, could be your, you know, your possessions. You're not always gonna hold it, right? Could be your job, your title. It's a stewardship, it's temporary, and we're accountable for how we lead. One day we will stand before God, and we will be face to face with him, and he will hold us accountable for how we've managed his resources whether that's influence, potential opportunity, money, you name it, we will be accountable to him. And so what I'd like to do as we close the message is I'd like to ask everybody to stand. And if you're online, be bold enough to stand even if you're standing in your living room alone because <laughs> I want to lead you through an exercise that I've done many times. So go ahead and stand up. And what I want you to do, it's a little weird, um, but that's okay. Um, Paul's going to be here soon. The weirdness will be done. Um, I want you to hold your hands out. I'm holding a mic so I can, but hold both hands out. So Paul, hold, there we go. Exactly, thank you so much. Okay. And I want you to imagine in your hands your leadership, your leadership opportunity, your position, your potential, whatever it might be, your future, wherever you're at. Whatever you're leading, whomever you're leading, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine in your hands what God has given you as a, a stewardship which is temporary and accountable, and I want you 
to acknowledge a few things with me. Number one, I want you to declare, I want you to, in your own heart and mind, declare that God is ruler over your realm. That God is ruler over your realm. However big or small your realm is, that God is ruler over your realm. Number two, I want you to declare your dependency upon God for what he's given you to steward. You need him every day to lead well. Number three, I want you to commit to leading with strength and humility as long as God keeps that or those people in your hands, as long as you hold them, that you will be dependent upon him. And finally, remember that one day you will stand accountable before God of how you have stewarded, how you have led, what he's placed in your hands. And then without motivation, maybe even the right respect and fear, he would lead in a godly way. Because friends, I'm telling you, the world needs to see that. They don't need to see more Christian pastors and leaders burn up in the atmosphere. It's shameful what happens when the world laughs and mocks at us, when even our pastors can't keep their pants on they can't keep their heart right. They can't keep their hands out of the, the offering. When our pastors can't walk in humility, how could the people follow? This community, this city, this county, they need to see people that are walking with integrity. Large and small opportunities, whatever realm you lead, whatever you're responsible for, lead with all diligence and humility because that's how Jesus did it. He walked into the room with all of his disciples and said, I am among you as the one who serves. May that be our heartbeat. We pray in Christ's name, amen.